Hey, welcome to you. If you're visiting Canterbury Gardens, welcome again. My name is Shabu. I have the great privilege to be one of the pastors here. Uh, and Christmas is a unique thing in that maybe this is your tradition. Christmas is the day that you go to a church. We are so glad that you came, chose to come here this Sunday morning. Some of us may be even surprised that you chose us, but we're glad that you're here. Uh, you know, but I also want to acknowledge that Christmas is not always um, a joyful uh, day for some of us. Uh, it's also the reality and reminder that this was the year that you lost a loved one. Uh, maybe it's also the reminder that you have brokenness in your family, and Christmas stirs that up. And if that is you, my prayer is that you already have heard and listened uh, that there is a Savior who deeply loves you and cares for you, uh, if that is your journey. Uh, maybe you are a regular attender, and this is your church home. I'm glad that you made the time to come this Sunday, uh, sorry, Sunday, Wednesday morning. Um, My prayer is, if you haven't already, that you've already been hearing from God. Uh, See, at this church, we believe that when you read, listen, hear things from Scripture, it's as though God himself is speaking to you. Uh, That's our prayer this morning for you. And I guess what I want to do this morning was to leave this with you to consider uh, on Christmas Day. And this idea of a king like no other. A king like no other. Emily did a great job in reading a section from the passage that we're going to be spending our time in. If you are someone who is a follower of Jesus, maybe you bought your Bible, it's in your app. Uh, If you could turn to Isaiah 9, verses 2 to 7, we're going to spend just a short time to consider this idea of a king like no other. If you don't have a Bible, please... Uh, feel free to turn to the person next to you. If you don't actually have a physical Bible, we at Canterbury Gardens have a Christmas present for you. Please take one of those. Take it as yours. Keep it. Uh, It's our gift to you. Here is God's word. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You've multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as one in the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumlet, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his counselor, on his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, this morning you see every single person in this room. You know every single person's journey, whether if they are followers of yours, whether they are skeptics or somewhere in between. It's not by chance that they're here this this Wednesday morning. Whoever we are, would you please speak to our hearts and cause our wills to 
consider what your word says. And Lord, as I pray, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, only because of what you have done and who you are, for your glory alone, in your mighty name. Amen. I was just wondering, how many of you stayed up last night watching the Christmas carols? Maybe a handful? I was just curious to see if that's actually a tradition or not. In our block of um, sort of um, uh, units where we live, I don't own all those units, by the way, but I live in one of those units. Our neighbours were listening to it. Their windows were open. I could hear about three or four of them, and they were all singing out loud. But it was interesting. There's this moment in the carols. I don't know if you know. This is the moment what's known as Handel's Messiah, right? The Hallelujah Chorus. The choir gets all riled up and there's the conductor waiting there for that moment and he's usually got a symbol. I didn't watch it last night. Did he have a symbol? Right? Ready to bang it together in that moment. It's a wonderful song. It's a powerful song. It's a song that was written by George Frederick Handel. It's a significant thing. I don't know if you knew this. He didn't actually write it for Christmas. He actually wrote it for Easter. But see, before Handel's Messiah was written, this poem that we just read was actually written. It was written by God through his sermon Isaiah. This guy, Isaiah, is a real historical character. He was a prophet of the Old Testament. He had a pretty significant ministry. He was living in a time where the nations of Israel were divided and they were fighting. There was conquerors coming in. It was not a good time. But at the heart of it, the prophet Isaiah was declaring to the people of Israel, hey, you need to turn back to God. And that is God himself does everything that he does for his own glory. And we come up to the section I just read to you, as we've been hearing earlier, where now God is now about to display that he's about to redefine the future for that nation, for the people. And he makes this statement to them, your guilt is going to be taken away. And so Isaiah is now, in this moment, as he's writing this beautiful poem, he's actually now starting to speak of someone. Uh, This is actually someone like no other. And the language that he's using is quite deliberate. It's kingly language. It's a king like no other. He first begins by declaring this reality that the people that he's writing to, they have been in darkness. But the darkness is not in the sense of some sort of environmental thing that's going on. It's the darkness to describe God's judgment on the people of Israel. This darkness has been God's judgment on them. The people themselves have faced this judgment. It's a gloomy picture, but in the gloomy picture, there's this beautiful declaration of hope. It's a declaration of hope that brings two effects. One is the effect of judgment, but then there's also the hope that has been shown of deliverance. Did you see or hear the language? In the darkness, a light has shone. It's a declaration of someone that is to come. And the language is very deliberate by Isaiah. It's kingling language. It is someone who is going to come, who is coming to bring deliverance out of this darkness. Because he's a king like no other. This picture of deliverance that Isaiah is offering 
is deliverance from oppression. And this is what this picture is now shown to us in that the language that Isaiah starts using about how there's population growth in the nation, how this growth brings great joy. It's a great, wonderful time and season for the people of Israel. And he declares that there's going to be a bumper crop for the people and so much crop that they're going to be able to share with one another, divide with one another. It's a great picture of someone, a king, a deliverer, who will bring victory over the oppressors. It's a picture of a king that is to come, a king like no other. And now Isaiah starts describing this king. He firstly describes him as a child, a son. And I don't know if you pick the language, it's not just a son or just a child, and this is not just some ordinary child or son. There's this language of the weight or burden that this king will carry. Uh, the language is a deliberate word play by Isaiah when he's writing this poem. Uh, he's saying, hey, this king will have a real big burden on him that he has to carry. But not only that, because of who he is, he is the only one who has the authority to carry this burden. And if you were listening to this poem for the first time, maybe even today, and maybe in Isaiah's time, you're thinking, who is this person? Now Isaiah starts to unravel a bit more further, and in some sense starts describing this person, this king like no other, by giving him, in a sense, if you're using modern day language, nicknames. But they're not everyday nicknames. He is now describing the very essence of who this person is. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. In this moment, Isaiah is now painting a picture, a powerful picture of a king like no other. This description of this king being a wonderful counselor I don't know about you and me, I automatically go to think of someone sitting there listening to my issues and problems. That's not what Isaiah is talking about in here. In this moment, the language, his better way to say is, this wonderful counsellor is an extraordinary strategist. Not just an extraordinary strategist, a wonderful counsellor who is now planning a miraculous thing. That is the language in the Hebrew Bible. This is what it means to be a wonderful counsellor. And the picture is deliberate. What Isaiah is painting is a picture of a king who is now preparing for war to deliver the people. And to drive that further, this king is described as God. Not just God. The language that he's using is the warrior God. The one who is mighty. It's a picture of a mighty, powerful king who has a plan. And this plan, that he's born to bring peace, the way he's going to bring peace is going to be through war. And in that moment, if you're listening to Isaiah's poem and maybe even listening today, you're thinking, who is this king? Who is this king? It's not like the kings that they've already had in the history of Israel. This is a king of coming in the future, a king like no other. And then he makes a curious statement. He describes him as an everlasting father. 
That's a very curious statement to make if you're listening to this, if you were from a Jewish heritage. You're going, what does that even mean? But what Isaiah is describing is this king, is who is like no other, is a king who cares like a father. This king is like a father who is there to protect his people that belong to him. This king is different from the kings or the earthly fathers because he is an everlasting father. He reigns. It's a picture of one who reigns not just now, but beyond this life. It's an eternal picture, and it's an eternal picture of a dynasty that never ends. And then he describes him as the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace because of who he is. Because of the wonderful counselor that he is, that he is the mighty God, he's the everlasting Father who has fought for his people and he's brought peace because he is the invincible king who has destroyed his enemies. And this is why now Isaiah describes him, who he is as a person, and then describes the breath of his kingdom and his rule. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. It is a picture that Isaiah is giving to say, hey, this king is ruling, is vast. Unlike the kings of old and unlike the kings that would follow, his rule is immeasurable because he brings an immeasurable peace. This peace that goes beyond that is on this earth, it goes beyond that. It is actually also the kind of language, it's a peace that says it's a relational peace. It's a relational peace between God and his people. This king is now described as a king who will be in a particular line of a king, this King David. That is a significant character in the Old Testament that continues pointing to someone else that would arrive in the New Testament. But this king is a king who rules. This king is the one that every nation will come to. This is the language that Isaiah is showing. See, at the time that he's writing this, the kingdoms are divided. There's various kings all over the place. Isaiah is pointing to someone who will actually unite the nation. And this king, his rule, will bring peace His rule will come with justice. His rule will come with fairness. Because he is the true king. He is a king like no other. See, now Isaiah describes this interesting statement where he says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Now, this is probably my guess is over your Christmas lunch, you're probably not going to say this, right? Over your prayer. Dear Lord, thank you for the turkey. The zeal of the Lord will do this. It's not something that we use in our everyday language. What Isaiah is saying, or a better way to put it, I would say, refers to the intense devotion that God has for his people, this king has for his people. It prompts him to action, to fulfill the promises that have been declared from long ago, both to the king of the time of David that they know so well and to the nation of Israel and even to us today. Friends, I don't know if you understand what I'm about to say to you, but maybe something I want you to consider. 
If you're sitting there going, well, what does that mean for me in 2019? This is what I want you to consider. See, Isaiah was not pointing to a king of the time. He was pointing to someone that would come. Someone that would come. It was a glimpse to the future because the people of Israel as a nation were constantly looking for this kind of a king. They're praying for, they're yearning for it. And they were hoping their king, these earthly kings would achieve it, but constantly over and over again, there's failures of these kings. It was prophesying of a king that would come. This king does come. This, the king definitely came. Many, many years later, this king would arrive into the scene. We've sung about him already. We've talked about the angels. We've talked about the star. We've talked about that moment when the king arrives. But what I found fascinating about this, if you were reading this and listening to it the first time, how does this king appear? The most unlikely way. You know, one of the famous stories of the Bible it's the true story of the wise men that come looking for this king. As they come looking for this king, where do you think they would hope they'll find this king? In a palace. The king is not there. The king is not there. This is the most unlikely looking king. But yet, this is who Isaiah is speaking of. Later on in the Gospel of Matthew... The author, who is a follower of Jesus, would write this. He speaks of how Jesus' ministry is starting to grow. And he says this in verse 14. So that was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtal, by the sea, Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And listen to this. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. For those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. See, in that moment, just as Isaiah declared, there is a king that is to come, a king like no other. And see, the people at the time, as they were waiting for their Messiah, were too waiting for a king. But there was a greater darkness that was over them. A greater darkness than the Roman Empire, the regime. That darkness is caused by sin. See, this is why the language here is this dwelling darkness and dwelling in the region of shadow of death is spoken of. It's a picture of a spiritual reality that you and I all face. Either we are living in darkness by our rejection of this loving king and his authority who Isaiah spoke of and pointing to, that is Jesus Christ, or we are living in the effects of this darkness that faces us every day. And death is a reminder of that. And into this darkness, into this darkness comes the one who is described as the light, the great light. Like a sun rising on a new day comes into this world. Remember the description of this king? Well, friends, it is fulfilled in who this person we call Jesus Jesus is the given one. Do you remember the famous verse that we just read? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus is the one who bears the burden on his shoulders. 
the burden of our rebellion, your rebellion, my rebellion, our open rejection of a holy God. He carries our sin all the way to that cross. But because of who he is, he's the only one who can do it. Because he has that full authority. Jesus is the one. And his very name displays that he is the wonderful strategist. He is the one who is the wonderful counselor. He is the one who can only do this miraculous thing. This king is the one who gave himself up for you and for me. That's his strategy. That's his strategy to bring peace. This is the king, the mighty God, the warrior king, who like no other king that was before him or any king that would come before after him, throws himself into the front lines of battle so that he could win. And he does win and he has won and he brings sin and death to its knees and he defeats it. He is the king who is the everlasting king, who is the protector from our true enemy of sin and death. And he is the prince of peace through his sacrifice. He has actually brought us the greatest peace at all. The peace between us and a holy God. And this is the truth for any of us who have put our trust in him to come under his loving authority and kingship. Jesus is the king whose very rule and authority brings peace. And his kingdom and his rule is not constrained to the boundaries like our presidents and our kings and dictators and prime ministers. His kingdom is always at peace and it's eternal. He is the one whom the prophets of old were crying out for and waiting for. He's the one even David himself was looking to. And this kingdom of his is actually not retreating. It is advancing, even today, all the way to Kilsyth. This is the king that if you're a follower of his and you are in his kingdom, his intense love for you and devotion will uphold you with justice and righteousness today. Because of who he is, he is the risen king. Do you know what that means? Well, friends, if you don't know who this king is, my question to you, who is your king? If Jesus is not your king, there is something or someone else that is your king. Maybe you're finding that you'll find your hope and kingship in the things of this world. Work, career, house mortgage. At the heart of it, you and I have all said we desire to be our own king. But as one of the most modern-day poets declared this year, Kanye West said, Jesus is king. And friends, that is true, well before Kanye said it. If you do not know who this Jesus is, and if he's not your king, we would invite you to explore that with us. Maybe explore it with the friend that brought you this morning. But I want you to know this king will return. And when he returns, it's not going to be a doubt of whether if this is the guy or not. And I guess what we're calling you to consider is to bow before him today in grace. Because the day will come, we will all bow, whoever you are. So we would invite you to explore this king like no other. Christian friends, uh, this news is for you and I too. It's a wonderful reminder of who this king is. And this is why that we can sing, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, Hallelujah, hallelujah. If you know this king, 
it's a reminder to you and I, we too have to constantly look to this king. The one who is the wonderful counsellor. The one who is the mighty God. The one who has given himself to rescue us. This means in the midst of all the chaos that you and I see every day in the world, these kind of passages remind us to look to the one who is in charge. Christian friends, God is in charge. Christ is risen. He is Lord. He is King. Jesus is not anxious. Run to your King. Maybe right now you're in a great season of trial and challenge. Run to the great strategist who gives you hope. Maybe you're in seasons of uncertainty. Run to the one who knows the beginning and the end. This is the king that the Bible speaks of. This is the king that we're all called to worship because he's the king like no other. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we bow at your feet because you are the true king. And whoever we are and whatever season we're in, please reveal more of yourself to us. And as we sing... For those of us who know you, may we sing with great joy in our hearts. For those of us who don't know you, stir our hearts to discover who you are. In your name, amen. We have opportunity to sing one more time before we close our Christmas morning service. And we're going to sing of that king. What a shame we're not singing the Hallelujah Chorus. You should have warned us. We could have prepared. But Isaac Watts is nearly right up there with Handel, right? And when Handel wrote the Messiah, he was not thinking of Christmas. Neither was Isaac Watts thinking of Christmas when he wrote this particular song. He was actually taking it from Psalm 98, which speaks not the first coming of Jesus, but of his return when he comes as king. Let the sea roar and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands and the mountains sing together for joy before the Lord, for he is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Let heaven and nature sing. If that doesn't make you sing, nothing will. Will you this time lift the roof as we sing together? Joy to the world.
Well, friends, thanks for coming and joining us on Christmas Day. God bless you. Pray you have a wonderful Christmas. Let me pray as we close up. Father God, we bow at your feet. We thank you for sending us your son. And we look for the day when he will return again. Until that day, for those of us who know you, help us to live for him and for his glory. For those of us who don't know him, stir our hearts to discover. And King Jesus, I thank you that you're not like the kings of old who would have sat in their palaces and had lots of people looking after them. You're the king who understands suffering and trial and challenge. You're the king who humbled himself. You're the king who continuously walk with us every day. We love you in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. God bless.